This is the future of support raising. Welcome to the Future of Support Raising, a show about race, justice, and the funding of the mission of God. Thanks for joining us. I'm Eric, one of the hosts of the show, along with my wife, Christy. We're the co-founders of a ministry called 58, and we believe in the future of support raising, a future where everyone, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or social connection, can fully participate in God's global mission. This week on the show, we're talking about the importance of how you define what's wrong with support raising. We share a bit of our journeys that got us to this point. Let's get started. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Today we are talking about um, kind of our journeys and what got us uh, to where we are in this process of looking uh, at the problem and then also wanting to explore why is it important how we define the problem uh, that we're trying to trying to tackle uh, here. So, uh, Christy, I wanted to ask you if you would just share some of your journey. How did you get interested in this? How did you kind of get to where you're co-founding 58 around kind of solving some of these issues? Yeah, so I um, started my journey with support raising when I was graduating from college and decided to join staff for the year and um, it came in really quickly and I was didn't struggle um, that summer to raise my support so that was my first experience with ministry partner development that's what we called it Um, so my second year this was a two year commitment that I had made in the second year I was needing to raise support again because the first uh, summer my dad had given me a lot of funding um, my dad through some of his connections, but my dad wasn't a believer. And so the second summer, my dad was communicating to me, like, God can't raise your support. Um, you have to rely on me to get all your funding. Well, that sounded, again, as, you know, young, 20-something-year-old, that sounded like a God challenge. And so that's how I raised all of my support, As I went to my current supporters and told them, my dad, who doesn't claim faith, said that God can't provide. Will you prove him wrong? And it worked. And so I got fully funded my second year. Um, So really, my struggles with support raising um, came much later, um, once I couldn't sustain that support over the years. And so I married you, which I (laughs) I began to notice that my funding wasn't, I didn't feel like I was contributing to our funding at an equal level. So I definitely saw the discrepancy between our donors that we were bringing to the table to provide for our family. So I began to see, I think the only reason I'm able to be on staff with these organizations um, is because I'm married to a white guy who has infinite number of uh, connections with people that have much more uh, uh, disposable income. So... That was difficult for me, but again, it was like, well, this is what it is, and I'm going to go with it. And uh, once we started working within predominantly Latino context, where I was on staff with other Latinos and we were working with students, they were all Latino, that's when I began to see more of the inequity and why it was that I didn't have a lot of staff around me that were from the same background as me. That were, had the same ethnicity and story that I did. 
Um, and that struggle was really emotional and hard. We've sat across the table from lots of friends that have wept and cried over the fact that they couldn't raise their support to do this full time. And so I think the pain of that, being in relationship with people that were hurting, um, that worked just as hard, were extremely gifted support raisers. You talk about what people need skill-wise to be able to do this kind of work well, donor development. Um, My friends had it. It wasn't an issue of they lacked willpower or lacked skill or lacked faith. Yet that's what was communicated to them was, well, maybe God hasn't called you to this ministry. Maybe you need to work harder. You know, they got coaches that helped them put in even more effort. Um, And so that was hard for me, too, because I would see some of my white friends that were wanting to do this work raise their support with way less effort um, Mm -hmm. than my Latino friends who were putting in incredible amount of hours trying to get fully funded and they couldn't get there. And so the discrepancy there and the struggle there began to really burden my soul. Um, And then we came across an article by Samuel Perry, Mm -hmm. I think. So that was really significant because it was kind of the first time there was data to the anecdotal stories. Like, okay, there's anecdotal evidence, but this is like hard data, statistical data from a lot of different mission agencies I knew this was true. I knew this was real. Um, And so I think those two pieces together brought me to a place where I just couldn't do it anymore. I Mm. couldn't just watch my friends not be able to participate in the mission through these specific mission agencies um, over a model that we invented. And so that was hard. And that's a very simplistic answer to a very complicated question yeah yeah no that's good i think uh for me it was probably i think a similar journey of when i first uh joined staff and went on a one-year internship overseas uh, every supporter i had were people that i had known for 15 years in my southern baptist church um, that had changed my diaper in the nursery and uh, and so support raising uh came easily uh although you finished before i did uh that summer but yeah, I just didn't think about it. And so just, I really just listened to the people who trained me and who said this was a biblical model and gave me the biblical basis for it. And, uh, and I think that's what I, what I needed to kind of step out and get past the fear that was in me of asking people to give money uh, Mm -hmm. towards something. And so kept going and it started working. And yeah, I think it was when we started working, uh, predominantly with Latino students and starting to piece together, wait a second, this isn't just like one or two people that are having trouble. Like this is starting to be um, representing an entire community. I think that was difficult for me. And I remember reading some book and there was a reference to the article by Samuel Perry, Diversity, Disadvantage and Donations. And uh, I didn't have access to the journal uh, but it was like so compelling of a title of like, wait a second, this is exactly what we're dealing with that, um, uh, you know, I went over to the library and got access and read it while I was on campus and was just like, holy cow. I remember laying in bed at night and saying, yeah, the same kind of things you're saying. And I think that's where it switched for me from, okay, these are my friends who are having a hard time 
do this as an entire community that's having a difficult time to what he pieced together for me was like, not only does this affect these individuals, but this affects the entire system that because ethnic minorities were having a harder time to raise support, it meant they weren't able to stay on staff a long time. And because they couldn't stay on staff a long time, they weren't able to rise in leadership positions. And because they couldn't rise into leadership positions, they weren't able to affect change within these organizations. And so it just became a self-perpetuating cycle. Uh, and so I looked at that, and I looked at these Latino students that were turning the world upside down for Christ on their campus. And it was like, at the current rate we're going, it's going to always be Latino students, and it's going to always be white staff. Um, and we're never going to actually be in an, an indigenous ministry. And uh, I think for me, that was incredibly burdening. And then the more of just kind of hearing stories and having friends and, um, I think it just hits home and you can't, you can't hear the stories and and go unchanged, you know? And so the more that you are connected, the more that it kind of motivates that, that piece inside of you that says, this isn't right. And we've, we've got to do something, you know, unfortunately I had no clue (laughs) what to do, but it, it had to be something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's the journey, you know, at least the beginning kind of for both of us, uh, to get into this. Um, and one of the things I think we've talked about is that it's incredibly important how you define the problem. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so what can you speak a little bit to that of what, what can go wrong if you define this problem, you know, maybe in a more practical way or in some of the other ways that we've talked about? Yeah, I think that um, because we're pragmatic people, a lot of ministers with these kinds of mission agencies and organizations tend to be very pragmatic in the way that we think. And so we're looking for solutions that are practical, efficient, sometimes most of the time easier. Like we're we're looking to make things even simpler and easier. And so I think if we define this as we can't get enough staff period, um, enough ethnic minority staff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be looking for solutions that match that criteria of simpler, easier, more efficient, where that limits the possibilities you have. Whereas if you define the problem at a very theological level, let's say we say this is a very unjust system, mm-hmm. there's injustice present, well, then you're willing to turn the world upside down to change change the outcome. Right. So your solutions can be much more broad and that your end goal is not just, can we just do this better? Can we do this more efficiently? Uh, can we just grow? Um, you start to say, no, this is just not right. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. Well then that can keep your imagination open for what could be. Um, and I think if you try to define the problem too narrowly, that can be, another danger because this problem is really complex. It's really complicated. And so I think part of the problem is, you know, there's data that talks about different communities have different, you know, expendable income. So Mm -hmm. minority communities have less disposable income and um, other communities have more. So that's part of the problem. It's not the whole problem. You know, there's also maybe a theological piece of, are we, are we, in a system that's too individualistic where we're just looking out for ourselves, well, is that a theological problem? Is that a biblical problem? Um, Is that unjust? Right. What does the Bible have to speak to that? 
So I, I just think that the problem is more broad than just we can't get minority staff. And so just to be mindful of that because then it will limit, yeah, what you can imagine for the future. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of times when it's talked about, um, at least it feels like in the higher levels of leadership that it gets tied around, well, we're just not diverse enough. Right. Um, we want to be more diverse. And so, okay, well, now we're looking at funding models as a result. Um, or sometimes it's even just around a money thing of, right. hey, our budget's $80 million a year, and right now we have $70 million. And so we've got to find a way to get the extra $10 million. Yeah. And that really can limit you into solutions that are kind of set. Um, in some sense, it leads you down the path of let's just run on the treadmill faster. Right, or just move the same pieces around. Yeah, Yeah, over and over, instead of kind of opening our eyes and saying, wait a second, maybe God wants to look at much broader than this. And so I think for the people listening uh, to this episode, um, partially this is used in our learning communities with 58, uh, but for anyone who's listening, maybe the the challenge is to to kind of think more deeply and think more broadly and say, what... What really is the problem? What are we defining? What are we looking at? What are kind of all the depths and different ways that we need to explore to kind of look at the problem? Because it, I think if we fail to do that, we're not actually going to open up to solutions. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's where our pragmatism gets in the way and maybe some of our anxiety of like, okay, we can recognize this as a problem and we want to fix it and we're ready to fix it right away that we don't want to talk about kind of all of the, the places the it, tentacles, yeah, yeah. that it has the tentacles to go. And so because of that, we end up short-circuiting the process. Yeah. Um, and so I think our encouragement kind of in this initial episode is to say, okay, let's, let's look at our own journeys of what gets us here and where has God connected us, I think, within our stories uh, to really touch our hearts and to say, okay, I'm, I'm passionate about this and it's important enough for me to begin to join a learning community or to think about something differently or begin to say, wait a second, maybe what I've been taught about the biblical basis of support raising is good, but incomplete. And maybe the system that my ministry uses uh, has worked, but only for some. And so how can I begin to really explore these things differently? So yeah, is there anything you would add before we kind of wrap it up and cover some more things in the next episode yeah no i just think that the significance of this problem deserves all the attention you can give it to the depths that you need to do it and don't short circuit it before you even get started so yeah amen well that will do it for this show thanks for joining us for the inaugural episode For more resources on race, justice, and support raising, please check out our website at weare58.com. There you'll find Bible studies, opportunities to join learning communities with other ministers around these issues, and how you can contact us. May the future of support raising come quickly. Music for this show was provided by Dexter Britton. And show notes can be found at weare58.com slash podcast.